Carrie Jones. Hey guys, I hope you all had a fantastic Christmas and enjoyed listening to part one of the Christmas podcast. There were so many guests and episodes in 2023 that I had to split it into two. I had a blast recording each and every one of them, made new friends as well along the way. And I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making them. So once more, sit back and relax and listen to the chats of 2023. Happy New Year, guys. We'll kick off with episode 140, Terry Bromwell. <laughs> I've uh, heard about your singing oh, yeah. and your Tarzan calls. Oh, yeah, Tarzan, yeah. I've done that on, um, in, uh, on the River Ewer. Uh, all the boys are practicing. <laughs> and we were up on his mountain and Kibble said, Tarzan, I've done Tarzan. And there was a guy, one of the English guys, sitting on a bank just staring at me thinking... That's, that guy's not square. <laughs> <laughs> Give, us, that was Give us a blast now. What's that out? Tarzan. Oh! <laughs> I can do a really loud thing. Like, Talent's wasting. We'll have to have a new, new uh, intro for my podcast. Yeah, yeah, do I, I'll do that. It's no problem at all. <laughs> oh, it's, it's brilliant. We, we, had a, we had such a laugh doing that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting it. Was so, it a competition? Was it? Yeah, we were in the international. I think. I, I think it's when we um, uh, won gold. I think it was. Yeah, we picked up in Scotland. No, on, on the you were in Yorkshire. Oh right, yeah. uh, big upset. But so many goals now. Who uh, we've had a few. Bloody hell! Yeah, quite a few. I don't know how many you had actually. I so you did the call after you'd won. No, we were doing it while we were practicing walking on the beach. So everyone was oh. about that. <laughs> I found this big log in the tree and Kibble's looking at me and said, two thousand. Because <laughs> you had to go down the valley. <laughs> Never. That was a good laugh. In the morning, you can do really well. In the afternoon is always the, that's the, that, that's where you win here really. Um, because if everyone has fished the water before you, all the teams have gone through it and, and you uh, you avoid a blank or you know two and two like in the morning I think me and Simon took we we fish the same water use that we have crossovers and it's really difficult I hate crossovers because what happens is I was on I think it was B one uh, in the morning and Simon Barton was on it in the afternoon and we didn't teammates so you can't actually. Oh, um, Face the same water that your yeah, teammate has you, Yeah, been it's really difficult. So what you gotta um you gotta sit down, talk about the situation. Like I know Simon's uh, strong points are where he's good at fishing, you know, what kind of water he likes. Um so what you tend to do and you go, right, I'm gonna fish this water, I'll leave this for you. So you kind of protect the peg a bit. Oh. Because an English guy or Irish or, or a Scottish guy can come up there. Come up onto your water. That's how you move through the pegs. So what I done was I left a lot of water unfished, and this was what we would. This was the plan. So how big a peg or oh God, stretches? A couple hundred yards uh, each. each. Yeah, yeah. And oh, as much as that. Yeah. What you do is you got an English, Irish, Scottish, and a Welsh guy in a group. So you have A one, A two, A three, A four, and then you have a start and a finish in that area. So you can go anywhere you like. So if it's a if it's a Scott below you, two hundred yards, and you want to f- get down there. You can run all the way down and get in thirty thirty yards above him, and there's nothing he can do. And that's how you you kind of like optimize your beat, so you protect it and you fish it. But if you can, if there's a big bend, you can tend, you can think right. There's a good area to fish, and say he's down river a couple hundred yards. You can run down without him knowing and fish his water quickly. And catch a few fish, and then uh, run back to your own water. Is that what you got, Nike waders? Yeah, Nike waders, <laughs> Nike boots, Nike waders, and I'm still suffering for it now. <laughs> but it's, it, it's 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 a lot of um, it's a tactical. People just think you're fishing, but it's, no. it's a lot of tactics involved. 138, Nigel Savage. You pointed out to me when we were on the walk, we're going out to the jetty hmm. today. The two different types of pen fry. Well, to me, 
I couldn't differentiate, only the size. Yeah. But you said because of the size, you knew which was which. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I think the predator issue is, I mean, as regards fish falls, not necessarily uh, trout, but close fish, it's like pike spawn first, uh, then you, you perch, then your roach and your zander and stuff like that. But the perch always seemed to, to me, it looks like the hatching slightly before the roach. And I've actually witnessed a, a, a fish no more minuscule. If you go in Oldman, like three quarter of an inch fish on, feeding on tiny fish for about a quarter of an inch. Wow. I didn't realise a different fish spawn at different times. Yeah, I mean, the pike are very, back to take up, I'm not talking about trout fish, trout, but pike, they're, they're the early spawn, isn't it? It seems to linger through. The bream are still pretty active. I saw some the other night in Fancy Island, I thought there were trout, I thought too many of them. Then I realised, looking at the depth of them, they're definitely shoulder bream still hanging around. They're probably just cleaning themselves up now. Um, so the trout will take the perch fry as much as the Yeah, the uh, years ago I can remember uh, hooking a fish in East Creek just down the way from the lodge. And um, I count, I actually, it was those days before fishmen being killed. And I actually, uh, sorry, fish were being killed rather, rather than catch release as we have now. And this fish... It got something like 52 inch perch in it. Wow. It was mental. It came up from a floating fry, took it, and I missed it. It came on again. Now, normally you don't get a second chance. But when it got home, I realised when I gutted it how many fish were inside there. It. It's got three um, sticklebacks, as must have been the uh, starter. 149. Andy Barton. One of the things that you know, I think everybody picked up new hobbies to try and distract them from the challenges of COVID. Uh, one of mine was collecting whiskey. Is that right? Yeah. And collecting the, or drinking? A uh, little bit of both. Uh, <laughs> but the other part, uh, the other part was trying to get a, trying to get a bit healthier. Maybe the whiskey is healthier. Yeah. <laughs> so the whiskey helped there a bit, but it was, uh, it was, you know, I was way overweight going into COVID, so I actually used the first first months of COVID just to watch the diet yeah. a bit more and do a bit of exercise. I've never ever liked going for a run. So I said, I need something to help me go for a run. So I started listening to fly fishing stuff and fishing uh, podcasts and came across yours. It's recommended me from one of my buddies who fishes down here. So I started listening to this. I was able to run then and listen to something that was interesting me, particularly, you know, the anglers that, that you'd yeah. interviewed previously around the Carib in the west of Ireland. You wasn't you then, though, were you? No, I weren't, no. Living in Austria, living in Vienna, but come over four or five times a year. Uh, used most of my holidays to come over, bring the kids over. Been coming here for since I was born. This like is your that. second home, this is it? Pretty. This is my second home, yeah. And what a place it is. We sit in here, you know, in front of a roaring fire, and you've got these like a bifolding doors, patio doors, with a deck in and a view to die for. Yeah. yeah. You must be pinching yourself when you actually got this. Every day, every day. It's sometimes it's fate when these things happen, you know. Um, Toss up well, between meetings and, and going on the lake. It was, the lake is always going to win. It, it was funny actually because when we came yesterday, we pulled up and uh, we'd arranged to go out for a few hours because you said you had a slot. You had some of these tea meetings, yep. or Zoom meetings, and then you had a, a window of stairs, just a couple of hours to go out the fish. I, had, I chuckled to myself when I was in the boat because the conditions probably yesterday were the best I've seen for a long time. And those days are quite special. They don't really come along all that often. No. Where it was a nice rolling wave. Where up until yesterday, we had those gusts and strong wind. And then yesterday, you had those slicks going down. And with a hint of sun now and again and dark clouds. And the first drift we had, we ran over towards Inchigail, one of the markers, a long spit to shallow. And yeah, we saw a salmon yeah. jump. Mm-hmm. Then you had one. And then there was more fish coming. And then I was looking to you and I thought, oh, Jesus, how can we go in now? And I could see you on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just said, that's one meeting cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's nice to think that, you know, you, you got the, the flexibility. You obviously didn't yeah. tell him that there was a good wave. No. You said there was something else. <laughs> and I thought then, and we were catching and we had a good, good couple of fish come to the flies. And uh, we ended up with two nice fish each. But what would have been nice to top it all? Because we did see a few salmon leap. Oh, two beautiful, two beautiful salmon, yeah. And I, I, in my head, I can imagine, I thought, if we had one of those salmon, 
it wouldn't have been one of the tenured of council. You probably would have said, right, I'm off for the week. Uh, probably, probably resignation. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great day, though. 137, Lewis Henry. Fish that live in a river, they're not migrating up and down the river system. They'll generally find a rock and that's their home. So they're sitting in that same position all the time. So you go back week in, week out, and you'll see them in the same spot. The only thing that dictates whether they move is based upon whether the rivers rise and all that massive water's coming through the middle, so they're, they're, yeah. they're forced to the edges. Yeah. Or when the river dro- levels drop, that they're forced into a new area that's deeper yeah. because it's not deep enough where they were previously sat. Or whether they got get caught or, or, or pressured so much that they decide to move out. Or again, the last thing is probably during certain hatches, they'll move into different parts of that pool in order to... to to, to make the most of the, the buffet that's on offer. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they will stay on station a lot of the time. So so you always so know... How big was the fish? Um, the yeah, fish... Are, so yeah, we didn't weigh these fish, but both of them were over five pounds. Wow. The, the one that I targeted that's multiple times... Fish, yeah, so one was closer to six. Um, the one that I didn't see, and that was prospecting with Terry telling me where that fish lived. Like to the point, he said, the fish lives under this tree and I cast under that tree and I caught it. Um, wow. But but he really knows his stuff. Uh, the he other fish caught it before as well, did he? But I don't know if he'd had that fish, but he knew where they were. He yeah. knew, I'm sure he's had most of them. But um, the other one was it took like 20 fly changes, and it was on the 20 fly first fly really? change I caught it. And again, using a bit of information that Terry had told me a story. This is what the beauty of fly fishing and, and the social media network is: we can learn from other anglers, even having not experienced it ourselves. So Terry told me he caught his biggest ever fish on this particular river system on a drowned gnat. So he tried everything and he submerged his gnat. So he just gave the line a twitch so that it submerged under the surface and the fish ate it with complete confidence. Yeah. So I basically pulled all the buoyant fibers off the dry that I was using that I'd already cast the fish and he paid absolutely no attention to. So I pulled all the, the, the buoyant fibers off wet the fly mile mile first and cast it and straight away the fish ate it he just it came did. over now it still created a movement on the surface as if it were rising and this is sometimes what confuses people when you can't seem to figure out what that fish is eating a lot of the time it's because it's not actually eating something within the surface film so the footprint that that fly is leaving is incorrect for it's the stage of the fly that the fish are eating that fly at. So it's, that's very much important with when we're fishing within the fir- close quarters of the surface is is the footprint is giving off the right impression for the fish to eat it. So what I call the, the chip in the bowl theory, your fly needs to look like every other chip in the bowl. 143, Tony Davis. When we were walking, when we pulled up and we were walking down to the lake and uh, you were mentioning different fly patterns and... And you mentioned the fly, the Cochin Lass. Cochin Lass, Did yes. you fish that today? No, I haven't tried it. Um, it's a representative, if I've got it right, Mock Morgan, you remember Mock, and I used to talk about it. Yeah. It was an upland lake fly in Wales, and it's meant to represent the heather fly. Now, the yeah. heather fly is very similar to the hawthorn fly in May, but yeah. the Cochin Lass has got red legs. Yeah. and uh, quite bright if you see it on the heather now at the end of July August time and of course it, it's not a good flyer and it gets blown onto the water and by god yeah, you yeah. have some fun then because yeah. it, it really brings the trout up it's a mouthful you know Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a fly I find successful on most lakes because it just generates interest to a fish doesn't it it's a uh, I think most mountain lakes in Wales, it's, it's mainly terrestrial flies, isn't it? Yeah. You're just expecting fish to come up to flies, get blown on the water. Yes, that's right. If you look at a lot of the flies we use, the patterns are based on terrestrial flies, aren't they? Yeah. Same in Scotland. There are patterns, of course, which represent in some of the lakes sedge pupa, sedge fly, midge. Um, but on the whole, some of the best, I suppose flies to use will be representatives of terrestrial insects and beetles and that in itself means you're fishing for fish on the top aren't you even if you've got a a wet line on you're only down a few inches or you're on a full floater and that's to me what makes it so much fun and to give a picture of where we are now we stand at the edge of the edge of the water the wind's blowing left to right and it's just a traditional way of fishing mountain lakes is just cast and walk. Yes. And you yeah. just pull two fish there, no? Yeah. 
That's right. And small ones. Um, it's not a good day for fishing, as you and I said when we got here, because of the bright sun and the cool wind. But I've got to get home because the missus has told me I'm gardening this evening. But you're to stay on. <laughs> I and fish. Stay, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. stay on because yeah. when the light, you know, the sun goes off the water, you will have fish. 146. Linda Strachan. Would have travelled up Brian, would have taken me up to Woodford, you know, for different competitions and bears and things. And, you know, the guys up there were brilliant. You know, super good. Everybody was super good. And then the day after I finished my radiotherapy, I um, ran a 5K. Thank you, Nick. And, uh, uh, well, when I say ran, it was it was a very slow run. <laughs> but, um, and then the next month, I went to the International in Wales and the lovely ladies of all countries stood up and the boatmen stood up and gave me a standing ovation. Fantastic. Which definitely brought a tear to me. It was just, just an amazing thing, feeling just to be there. Yeah. But I mean, I did, I did go out in the boat with the wig on every day because I was very conscious, you know, of, you know, some people suit having no hair and some people don't. Yeah, yeah. And I just felt like I needed it. But it was that windy. I knew I was going to lose it. It was going to keep going down the <laughs> down the leg, and I'd probably get yeah, I'd probably get disqualified for for, for fishing a, an oversized lure. <laughs> so I um, did it stay on. I just took it off. No, I took it off in the end. By that stage, it was over. And you know, the ladies were fantastic, and you know, there was no, you know, the ladies, the guys are just amazing. That's quite a thing. Again. Yeah, that's quite a thing because actually fishing an international or fishing a full day in a boat, a pleasure fishing, it's quite physical. Mm-hmm. It's quite hard yeah. to take, you know, let alone if you're ill. You know yourself, you have the, the week and a half practice days beforehand where you're you know, in the boat or whatever, although coach and everybody else do what you can and do what, you, do what you're able to do. Don't yeah. push yourself. We have that many nursing staff on the Irish ladies. You know, I felt safer there than anywhere else. 145, Jamie Miller. How has it been this year, the season feel? Good. We've had, um, it was a very cold spring, if I uh, remember correctly. We had some tremendous rises, um, some of the best evening rises we've experienced for a number of years. Um, like clockwork, you know, about tea time, they'd start and uh, right up until the guest dark. Of course, then we had that unusual early heat wave uh, for Wales. And it did curtail the, the rises towards the end of it, uh, you know. But um, yeah, we seem to be coming out of it now. So hopefully we'll, um, we'll get back to some really, you know, good early autumn kind of end of summer fishing. Yeah. Well, I was hoping when I was driving down here tonight, I was going to get a warm summer's evening mm. where you're going to get fish coming up to the sedges. But yeah, you're not going to get it this evening. It's gonna no. It's going to really come down, I think, now in the next hour or two. Yeah, and fair enough, I had a 20 minutes on that pontoon mm-hmm. where you said there was a guy fishing last night and he had fish. And he did, st- he was fish starting to move. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it just, he just had, uh, it just, everything came came right with him last night. He had, I think he had about 15 fish in the space of about two, three hours, fishing those small little hothead diaws. Yeah. Um, which was nice because that was his, his last evening fishing here. He'd, he'd been staying here the last couple of evenings in, in the meadow camp and uh, yeah, left on a high, which is my, always nice. Well, you were staying over there, was he? Yeah, you were staying I noticed that. That's the first there. time I've seen it. Was it this yeah. year you put that up? Was yeah, it? This, this year we've started um, yeah, having guests. It's a bell tent. Bell tent, you know, and he's got the, it's got the canopy, the table, the picnic table. It's got the campfire so they can cook some food on there. It, it's just a nice little place. I fancy it myself, to be honest. Yeah. 154, Stevie Mann. I've seen her on Sheelan and I've seen her on Loch Iron and I've seen her on a few locks in the slick and mayfly time. You'll see two or three fish or four fish sometimes feeding in a pack. Feeding in a pack. They're, they're, and they're feeding together. They're going up like porpoises up the sail. up the sail of this. Up the sail of oh. slick. You know what I mean? It's hard in the mouth stuff. And you have your fly waiting and thinking, am I in the right spot? Was that me? I have a, I have a, good, I have a good pattern that that uh, I sort of acquired him off. I think it was a Welsh or an English man. I'm not sure. The guy might have been Welsh. But I, mem- I remember fishing Loch Sheelan, uh, the, the fishing club I go to every year, but when we were staying in Finney. And I'd been out during the day with, with all my mates who had been fishing this log a long time. And uh, 
I came on in you know, for our lunch. I came on for our lunch for, for our dinner. Actually, I came on that that book for our dinner, and uh, she's this guy sitting and almost in tears. And I seen all this other group all happy. <laughs> I, I walked over to the man who was in tears, and I was happy with myself because I had landed one fish, and it was pulling. It was pulling. Pulling the wets. It was pulling a. I was pulling a a, a sink tip with a. With, I like pulling a sink tip lane when I'm fishing wet place. So. Yeah. So I was pulling. I was pulling a sink tip lane and, and pulling wets, and I caught this fish with a green dabbler. And I remember going over to the guy with a, the fly box open and thinking, oh, God, I'll give him the fly, I'll cheer him up. I was all happy I caught this fish, it was four and a half pounds. And uh, <laughs> I was the only fish caught in our club that day, you see. So I walked over and said, oh, I got my fish in that. What's wrong? He says, oh, my mates caught fish and I didn't. And I was like, I looked up at his mates and there was about 10 of them. I thought, they've all caught fish? And he hasn't? That's unusual. It's unusual for 10 men to be standing on the banks of Luxeeland before dinner time. Saying every ten people's cut fish, that's very unusual. Right? So I was like, "What are they fishing?" <laughs> so I went up and talked, and there's this man sitting on the jetty, and he opened his fly box, and I seen this pattern in it, and to me it looked like a wet, a wet gauzing, a wet fly pattern, uh, a, a traditional sort of gauzing Irish wet mayfly. And when I, I said, to him, "What's a wet fly?" He says, "No, it's a drag." He says, "A fish is dry," and then he gave me it, and uh, I took it home and I looked at it, and I, 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 I knew what it was tied with. But apart from the tail fibres and and uh, and then I seen the grey cat and I took a cut on the grey cat and tied it in that fly is deadly. I'm not saying the grey cat is the thing, but that fly is deadly. Whatever way it sits in the water, whatever way it, it is deadly. If fish are taken spent, they do not refuse it. They do not. It's just like, is that on the Hector? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's hard to see, but if there's a swirl, I put a I put a bushy I put a bushy on the dropper. I put a bushy grey wood so I can see it. It's my spotter. Anything that raises behind that, I know it's usually the flame. It's caught me a lot of great trail on the 150, Philippa Hake. You've made a name for yourself in the Thai scene, and we actually met in the BFFI last, yeah, well, earlier on, on this year. How did you get into Thaiin? Uh, so Thaiin came about, um, we'd, me and my dad had been fishing to, oh, I can't remember where we'd been. We'd been fishing somewhere, and... I'd asked him if we could call in at Fly Only, which is um, one of my local fishing shops, which is based in Huddersfield. Um, it's family run by a guy called Stuart and Vicky, and they have a son called Dylan. And we'd called in at this shop, um, no intention of buying anything to do with fly tying. And Dylan used to be at the shop tying flies, um, and he's a pretty good fly tie, like he ties classic salmon flies. He's had like guidance from the likes of Paul Little. Um, so he's, he's pretty, yeah, he's pretty good at, good at fly tying. And I saw him tying these flies and he's, I think he's a year younger than me maybe. And I was like, wow, what is he doing? So of course I look at dad and we walked out of the shop with a vineyard starter kit. Great. And, one of them really, really cheap vices. I think the vice was like £10 or something like that. And um, he said, my dad, to the shop, um, the lady at the shop, Vicky, she was like, he was like, she'll use it for a week and then it's going to go in the loft and it's <laughs> never going to be seen again. Um, and slowly but surely, the little box turned into a bigger box and then the bigger <laughs> box then turned into taking over the spare room with a desk and stuff. Um, and yeah it just it just never stopped and I regularly tell my dad look it's not in the loft yet and we're 10 years in <laughs> 148 Colin Dodd so what was the story with those letters they go back to like 1914 or something you said yeah 19, 1904 I think is the earliest one we have there, the correspondence between visiting anglers, um, there would have been a couple of renowned anglers at that time, John Henderson, both senior and junior, um, Lord Kingston, Leonard Brooks, uh, F.B. Hinchcliffe, and these lads would have been all members of the Fly Fishers Club in London at the time. They would have been pioneering really dry fly fishing in the chalk streams in, in England. They used to come to Ireland, fish for salmon every year, um, and they got word of Loch Arrow. Um, the tactics that they were, I suppose, employing and, and, and trying out on the chalk streams that were, and the, tie, the flies they were tying 
the imitations were they heard similar to what the hatches we used to get here in Arrow. So they came down to Arrow and started fishing it. And they came back um, year after year. They wrote letters between themselves when one would be over and the rest of them would say it'd be still in England. One would write to the other to see how the fishing uh, was, as was before the time, and telephone or Facebook or any that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. Um, and they used to keep diaries. They, um, and we have some of the letters. Um, and it's, yeah, it's amazing how advanced these lads were at the time. Like, we have, we have letters that where they have detailed all the hatches, all the flies on the lake, yeah, like, with all their, yeah. the Latin names of them, the full breakdown of everything, like, unbelievable stuff, like, for it makes good reading. Years you can ago. imagine reading those in front of a fire with a, a glass of whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just mind just goes into that time. Yeah, you're stepping back in time. Like they're, t they're talking the letters about, you know, the war and the hope the war is. It's the first world war. Like, yeah. I think how long ago that. Yeah. The hope the war is going to be that bad, and they had sons in the war. And how I long think catch, yeah, catching three or four pound fish as well. Yeah, catching good fish. But you know, one thing that strikes from the letters is that. There was tough years. There was like they talk yeah. years and, and, and days, and I suppose the same as same as it is nowadays, where it's very conditions dependent. You know, like the talk of the bright sunny flat cams and. Um, yeah. But yeah, they were getting some great some great fish too. 151, Mike Bunn. And so I rode for about half a mile or a mile, whatever it was, and the closer I got, I could see the gulls taking. I could, I could see them in front, mayfly. Dry mayfly of this. It's exciting to see that for the first what? time. Great to see that, isn't it? But I'm really pleased the night before that, this mine, Terry Jur, Commander Jur, retired. He was showing me these long shanked, quite crude looking, big hooks, long. But the hackle was tied in the middle of the hook. And the idea was when you cast it out, it was. Leaning, sit in the film. Sit, but slightly down as yeah. I was hatching. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so um, I was, because, you know, I'd never cast a dry fly, remember that? And I had a Ritz Farrier, beautiful eight foot five split cane rod, Peson Michel, and a silk line, forward taper number five which you waxed. There was no such thing as Cortland lines in those days, no. you know. If they were, they were just around the corner. And anyway, I just rode into this little bit of calm water. I mean, it's kind of greyish. There was, there was sun-ish. And I couldn't fucking believe it. I saw this And it did it again. So I, I little practice counts that way. And then I, my very first cast with a dry fly in my life. A magnificent trout of three and a half pounds. Wow. Arch chrome, beautiful brown and black spots on it in pristine condition. I couldn't believe it. You know. 152, Will Millard. And in Ken's case, he was savagely beaten up after a night out um, in Derbyshire in the, in the town of Ripley. And he came round from a coma and he just decided there and then that uh, he would never, ever allow someone else to dictate to him the terms of his own life. And that, and that changed him profoundly. Um, and, and you do, you do when you do encounter people out in the wilderness, sometimes there is a little bit of a trauma that becomes a sliding doors moment where they really feel like they just want to have complete control over their life. And, and, and even if it means they have to suffer and be hungry and be wet and be cold and not have a permanent roof over their head, they're going to do it because it gives them back their freedom, their sense of control. I think more and more recently, more people are getting those thoughts because I watch YouTube a lot. And these sort of videos where people just do that, they, you know, they do videos of themselves doing it, whereas he just did it himself. There's no record of it then, I suppose. And the reason they're doing it, they're just fed up of being controlled in the system the bills, it's so easy to, for people to think, I've had enough, I'm just going, I want to be a hermit, you know, and I can relate to it. I think especially as anglers, I think there's a little hermit that sits with inside most of us. I think that we, we like solitude, you know, we choose to be reclusive from time to time. There, 
we, I mean, this is almost feels cliched now, but there's certainly times when, when life gets too much, the first thing we think about going and doing is picking up our rod and heading off up some river somewhere where we can experience that little bit of solitude, even if it's just for a few hours. People like Ken decide to do that full term. And I think you're absolutely right, Kerry. I think that it is growing and growing and growing and people are getting frustrated with the system, with the trappings of modernity. You know, people are seeing that we are destroying our environment in the way that we live and it's not making them happy certainly not making them healthy and people are starting to think do you know what those people that i've always been told are weirdos you know the reclusive people the solitude the lone wolves you know maybe they're not so odd and when you meet someone like ken you realize they're really not ken's a very normal person actually he's he's actually quite social and he lives in a really comfortable way. 147, Dennis Golden. You know, it, it's an ideal venue to have a youth competition on because everyone knows where the fish are on final day. They are up big um, and up the other arm at the cages and they came out of the dam on the second practice day. So there's really two or three areas that the fish were in and that was it. Yeah, and yeah. everybody knew what they were and it was up to the kids to batten it out on that, on the playing field. And, you know, we were lucky. I mean, we weren't lucky. We did the work. But, you know, the kids really outperformed themselves. Like some of our kids wouldn't fish in boats that often. And they'd be more bank anglers. But a few practice days, you know, qualifiers over here in Ireland and then getting out with experienced anglers in the boats, it stood to them. And they all they had to do was fish. Do you know what? One thing I noticed when I looked at the results, nobody out of the four countries blanked. And that doesn't happen very often. So everybody No, no, no Gaza and, and Russell made sure of that. Yeah. And, and 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 a lot of credit has to go to them for that match. Yeah. So you you know when you find I guess you get the trials over in Ireland to pick the team. Um, knowing that it was going to be in Clawedog, did you fish it on the trials on like a, a stocked water, or where did you fish the trials to get in the team? Right, okay. So we have a like I'm sure you've heard about Loch Lean in Collinstown. Yeah, um, it's a rainbow water. We won gold in it last year. Um, it's one of my favourite waters in the country. It's top of the water fishing, no matter when you go to it. Well, unfortunately, the day. Uh, yeah, we had practice days on it, but they're not they're not your typical rainbow fishery. You won't be pulling lures at them. It'll be nymphs and it'll be dries. It won't be there won't be blobs and boobies, guaranteed. Hundred and fifty eight, Jilly Bait. And before um, seeing all the guys next week, and using some, I've got some real heavy nymphs for tomorrow to get down because I think it's a bit of the itch, and I'm going to it's pretty deep anyway it'll be clear but it's it's quite deep so going on to the um the way people fish over the years the image that people have got that it's dry fly upstream no downstream nymph and does that still absolutely yeah you do not you never (laughs) fish downstream you just and it's really funny because it's so drilled into me that I find it, obviously, if you're grayling fishing, you know, if you're grayling fishing and you're nymphing, you know, you want a nice long drift and you want it to go down behind you. Because so often, as you know, as you lift the rod up on the dangle, that's quite often so often when you catch grayling, isn't it? Um, but it is fascinating because it is, if even when I, if I travel to Wales or I find it, I just, it's, I, I just can't get my head around downstream because I always cast upstream. Yeah. Or across, across, you know. Um, and I just, I like the control of what I'm doing. I find downstream, because it's not something I, I, I do, um, I just find I'm like, I don't, you know, I've lost control. I'm not, I'm, I'm not really understanding what my fly is. You know, it's fine if you've got a dry fly and you can see it floating down. You've got the leader behind it and you've got a nice drift. But I think, um, yeah, it's fascinating. And I, I don't think it will change. I, I actually think on the chalk streams, to be honest, I think it is, the right decision because when you've got that clear water 
it's the whole sporting element of, of seeing, you see the fish. I mean, you saw lower milk. Yeah, yeah. It's like gin, isn't it? And it is that thing of, of presenting the fly up above it. And even nymphing is putting the fly and watching the fish take the nymph. Yeah. It's not about searching out channels and just thinking, well, there's a nice looking seam or there's a foam line, you know, the fish are going to be in there. It, it's actually, it's so visual. I guess you get to know them by name. I think, what the fish? Yeah, you do, you do, there's one. There's one grayling at Lower Mill, which I think has been caught about twenty times. I actually feel really sorry for it because it's a big grayling and it's always in the same spot of water. But uh, it's pretty. He's. It's a pretty canny fish now. It's very difficult to catch because it's just seen it all. Um, but yeah, you get to you get to know in, and it is that thing. It's a bit. Uh, you know, I was saying earlier about one of the lovely things about having had the lease on that so long is I know where pretty much all the fish are even you know even before I've got there I know there's going to be a fish in this spot and even if it's a, a stock fish that's been put in and somebody's taken a fish out another one will move into that holding spot 157 Darren Duffy yeah I know it's interesting too now and it's definitely something I'm looking forward to doing next year um there was glad I had some great bag of fish because we were we were out in the lake and plenty of made by hatching and the whole lot. There was nothing. There was no fish in the surface, like as in they were just they were gorging themselves in the nymphs. So um, do you do you actually move the flies then? Like when you're fishing the glues, you just keep yeah, in uh, touch, and you or do you actually retrieve the mayfly nymphs? Oh yeah. Do with the mayfly nymphs, it was a it was a slow figure of eight, so I was retrieving them, but I was retrieving them slow. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be retrieving them quick, so I was retrieving them slow. I think some lads do fish like glues, fish them static, but Anytime I've seen a male flying, they're kind of moving, so I'm not too, as in, like, I don't mind if I'm moving them a bit. And then, yeah, yeah, so I, I was, yeah, just a slow figure of eight moving them back to me. And, um, yeah, it worked. I, like, I, I, I fish every day I was out, and, um, like I said, it, I got that fella. And I got him on the middle drop rack, as well as in fifth, and I don't really see too many fish in the middle drop as a rule, but, um, That's yeah, strange, on the middle drop. yeah, it was, yeah, and, um, yeah, good fight. I was in him for a good while there, and I was in him. I suppose 15, I, 20 minutes maybe, but just dog it out, just down deep and didn't want to move. And um, I wouldn't be too lenient on fish now either, I suppose. Once I get him, I'd kind of lean into him a bit. And um, yeah, I just knew after all, I was just felt that like he just, yeah, he wasn't giving up and he wasn't getting weaker. He just stayed down. So um, I had to um, I had to go after him twice in the boat. Uh, he was oh, just upwind of me. Yeah. Yeah, he was up in me. I just couldn't get him back down, so he was just high in the water, and I was just drifting away slowly. So I had to go around twice, and then, um, and the third attempt, I got him in front of the boat, and I got him up. And um, yeah, it was only when he really hit the net, and I went to lift him out with one hand, and I couldn't lift him. I realised that um, the 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 kind of size, and so yeah, um, yeah, and no and no one there with me to get a decent photo or anything like that, or. So, uh, yeah, I just pulled into the shore and kind of revived him and got a couple of snaps on the phone and a quick video on the, on the, on, on the GoPro and, um, yeah, set him off in. So, yeah, it was kind of bittersweet. We bought the big, we, we, we kind of got the boat to get, to go after fish like that in Chile and then two weeks later I had one. So it, um, I could nearly get rid of the boat again now after taking it off the list. Well, was that would have been at the start of May, was it? Yeah, so that was like, we'll say, a week into the start of the hatch. So I think the, the, the hatch started or at the start of May that you're on season. Um, so that would have been around, probably around the 10th of May, I'd imagine. Right. Early enough in the hatch. That, yeah, early enough in the hatch that there wasn't, the fish hadn't switched on to spent or anything like that yet. So I'd say, I think it was around the 10th. But Something which yeah, I was amazed at was a photograph you sent to me yesterday of um, the mayfly nymph, the natural. And they had like these lilac coloured, quite vivid, Breathers. I've never seen that. Do you actually tie no. your patterns with the lilac in it, or is this just something new you've come across? So I just I saw that this year. That photo with some chap put it up on Facebook there, and like you, I was shocked. I was like, I didn't think they had that kind of colouring at all. I thought they were just drab old things. So I saw that lilac, and I did tie my findings with lilac in behind the thorax in, and um, I had some good fish on them. I actually had that big fish on one where it was lilac, but it wasn't. Um, it was like a light bright material, so it was like lilac light bright material, but it wasn't it wasn't very garish or anything like that. So, hundred and fifty nine, Rob Redman. I took my first fish, which was seven pound in July, 
Um, I remember that. I've seen the picture of it. Yeah, so that was the first fish I had. So he was a you know a nice fish, multi spawner, um, heavily spotted fish. So um, by uh, what I mean there by multi spawning fish, you know the more spots of sea trout's got on him, the more times he's run the system. Is that right? Yeah, but yeah, that's that's the. I know a girl. She got lots of spots, but <laughs> <laughs> you might know her. Yeah, I probably do. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's more spots. Yeah, so the more spots a fish has got, the more times he's running. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So great sea trout night. You know, the temperature was right. Water levels were right. Check them tides. Everything was spot on um and i'm glad sometimes i listen to my instincts um so what i did you know i <laughs> i put the alarms on so i went what i do i go for a for a bit of a nap before going out because if i've got to work or something the following day or i need to get up for something stick the alarms on um and i so over- come home from work came home from work have an hour or two yeah um, have an hour or two, put the alarm on, but obviously I slept through this alarm and got up an hour late, so I got up and I didn't know where I was, and I was like, oh, God, you know, what do I, am I going to go or not? And I thought, yeah, bugger it, get out there. So I got up, got all my waders on, my rod was already set up. I had the flies on because I knew what I was going to do. So I got down to the to the car park, walked down, rushed down. So you keep your rods set up all the time? Yeah, my rods are set up. You know, That's yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout throughout the whole season, yeah, never break them down. You know, change the leaders, obviously, but don't, you know, put the put the right flies on. Um, but I got down to to the pool, two guys on, there, and I was like, oh, God, left it too late. I thought, so I shouted over to him, "Any good boys?" Turned around, they said, "No rubbish. I wouldn't waste my time." They said, "I was like." I'm gonna try it anyway, because I'm I'm here now, and that doesn't mean anything to me because no, they haven't caught like I thought. So I got in the water, I got in the head. Within two or three casts, right, bang! This fish hit me, and what a fish it was as well! It came out the water, and it was like somebody throwing a cow in off the other bank. Push! A hell of a deep splash like that. You, oh. I knew. That this was a big, big Definitely. fish, you know, with, with the depth of the splash, and he took off down the pool, and I couldn't put anything on him. Right, I had to get after this fish, and he just kept going. He passed these two lads, and I said, "Move out the way, boys! He's passing you." Uh, and I grabbed him. I was I had my had a firm grip on the rod, and I was, you know, because he was pulling so much line off. I, I all I remember was putting my hand round, round the, um, the spool of the reel and trying to stop it. And it was just burning, burning. And he kept going down like this. And I could, I, could, I couldn't see it, obviously, but I could feel. And I, and I heard that backing loop going through. Ding, 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 ding. And I knew then I was into the backing and I thought, oh, no. 160, Kevin Sheridan. You know, you could be out and you'd see something different in a, in a mayfly wing. You see the grey veins or you try and incorporate that into your into your patterns as well like yeah so you, you, you'll always be oh, you'll always be constantly thinking and how can I do this and how can I do that and you know you'll see a fish and he'll come to a fly but he'll turn away and you'll think to yourself why did I do that or how do you do that or why did he turn away like a good example of that was be this year on Shailen yeah. where I was out in the deeps on my own and I seen this fish boil. The water was actually boiling. I didn't even see the fish. Just the water was just moving. Oh. And seeing the fish coming up, this fish could have been, oh, he could be anything six, seven, eight pounds. He was big, but he was coming slowly through the water. Just And I threw my spent out three times to him. Three times he knows this. And I said to myself, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. But to me now, it wasn't bad luck, but what I seen was just pure amazing by this trout coming up, just about take a fly, nose it, and come under. 
So back out again next night, same thing again. But what I figured out is that my fly had been sitting a little bit high in the water. Yeah. So came home, basically stripped off the hackle, stripped off the wings, and all I did was stick on a uh, deer hair, black deer hair. Went back up next night, and same thing, could see fish moving throughout to us, and they started taking uh, the fly with no hackle on it. Yeah, sitting lower so, in the film, I guess, yeah. It's sitting lower in the film, and they just, that's the way they wanted it, and that's what fly timing is all about, is it's understanding what's happening on the water, and being that bit more creative, and how you can actually tie that fly different ways, but yet still sit on, on the film. 162, Stephen Smalley. There's not in my family, no anglers in my family at all. Um, but the, the village grew up in, uh, had a stream. And there was always a good head of small brown trout. And it's, when I'm talking seven, eight, nine years old, we used to go and plot worms, maggots, all kinds. We'd catch them. We'd put them back. We didn't, we didn't take them. Um, but it's just what we used to do. You strap your rod to your bike, catch a few. We didn't always get them, but and then we'd go, the River Ribble was about a mile, mile and a half from where I lived. So we were lucky enough to have a, a local tackle shop called Ken Berry, uh, which was on the market in, in Clitheroe. And we right. could go in there and get advice advice from Ken and, you know, he'd set us up and get us going. And that, and that's where it started. We started ledgering on the river, some trout, chub, eels. And it went from there, really. That's where it went from. And then, the fly fishing side of it started at, at stocks, really. Break when uh, I got a bit older and then came back to it in my late 20s, I guess. So a big friend of mine who uh, is called Bob Cooper, and certainly in the you know my early days on stocks, uh, he helped me a lot. And Bob and I have still fished together now. We spent so much time on stocks together and then going up and down the country as well, you know, to Scotland getting on to graph and break, but these are the Midlands waters that, you know, that we both enjoyed together. 161, Robert Thompson. So yesterday, uh, when I, so last week uh, in the, when I went out for the first time, the ice was about three and a half to four inches thick. That's okay for walking on. Yesterday, I went to the lower Kananaskis, and, and that's in the mountains here. I really like going there. There's really good fish to be caught there. So my friend in front, he's pulling a sled. I'm behind him pulling the sled, and he has what they call a spud bar. And what that is, you hit the ice to make sure it's safe to walk on because there was a small layer of snow on top of the ice, and we've had very, very mild conditions like very mild. Yeah. So um, we had seven inches of ice. How can you tell yesterday. the depth then with this, with a spud well, bar? Well, you know, so, so, well, no, no, the spud bar, like if that ice was only, let's say, an inch to two inches thick, that spud bar would probably either go right through it. All right. Or yeah. you, you'd you hear it cracking, you know? So that's something that's a must-have. Now I'm behind him. With a, in a sled, but I'm not that close to him. We're probably about 10, 15 feet apart. In my sled, I have a long rope. And, and this is all just precautionary. Yeah. Should he ever fall in, I mean, I have the rope to throw and try to get him out. Yeah, safety is everything, Kerry, you know what I mean? Yeah. But we have, we, have, we have everything. You know, we've got heaters. Um, we'll even do overnight in like minus 30 and we'll, we'll have heaters inside the tent. It's so thick the ice then, even if you've got a heater above the ice, that ain't going to melt nothing. Oh gosh, no. Uh, and I mean, we have charts, right? And you can look it up. You can punch it on Google. Um, ice thicknesses, how safe is it to walk on? How safe is it to drive on? And they'll give you a graph and show you four inches you can walk on. I think it's like Eight inches, you could ride a quad or a snowmobile. I think 12 inches, you can drive a, a car on. 
you know, 14 inches you could drive a truck on. Wow. Uh, I mean, in, in the end, the ice, you know, and especially up north, um, it, it's never been that, that. The most I've ever gone through here is probably three feet of ice. Yeah. But up in like you know the Northwest Territories and that when they when they drill sometimes the ice is like six feet thick. Hundred forty four, Cyril Fox. You, you you see them you see them in bathing costumes in the water, and uh, you pull you pull them out of the river. And I I said, oh we're only bathing. I said, okay then come out. I said, can I can I, can I smell your hands? Ja. Took it. What do you mean everybody will jump inside and take a photograph of it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I knew the guy who did, who did it. I knew the local guy was. There, there was so much poaching here when I started here, I, and I, I had a dog. Obviously, he was a Labrador, but he was a good dog. One dog, I good. Say now, say now, I'm walking down the field with my dog, right? Uh, uh, you Bobby, and uh, his tail be up in the air, walking away. But once I see his tail go through between his back legs. I knew there's somebody about. Oh, is it? Yeah. And um, I remember one Sunday, I was walking down there, all the way down, with my dog, and, and then for a hundred yards before I come to this catch, his tail went pretty leg. I knew. So I pulled my picking. I, I carried a, a 12-bore poaching gun. Uh, folded fold it up and you could put it in a barber coat. to get me. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I bought a I bought a barber. You had to protect yourself. You mean? Get him a rough. He'd fire it just to frighten them, wouldn't he? Oh well, I'd fire all the heads. Okay, you, yeah. you mean? Uh, I caught I caught a, a bloke by here where uh, uh, looking two of them, and he said to me, "If you if, if if I come across," he said, "You and the fucking dog will be in the river," he said. <laughs> and I said, "Come over, mate," I said, and I fired my gun in the air. Fucking hell! Yeah? <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed part two of this Christmas podcast. If you haven't listened to part one, tune in to last week's episode. If you're listening and haven't yet joined as a patron, you can listen to the full 162 episodes by tuning into patreon.com forward slash customer Kerry Jones. Have a great Christmas, guys. And as always, may they always be up in the wave. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I can do a really loud like, silence, <laughs> <I know. laughs>